We are in a series right now of sermons on Sunday mornings. We started this a few weeks ago called Fake News. And this idea that our society around us has fed us some fake news about life. And the Bible teaches something different. So we're going through some ideas and talking about what is fake news, what's the real truth behind some of this. And today the topic is sin. Right? Aren't you excited? Yeah, yeah, yay! We didn't publicize it. We were like, no, don't tell anybody about this. You might not have showed up. But we're talking about sin today. And pastors, we're as pastors, we're not immune to this. In fact, we're really good at it as well. I heard about a group of pastors. They were getting together, praying for each other. They were doing some accountability with each other, helping each other out. And they were at this one meeting, and one of them said, "Guys, I need some help. Alcohol has really been um, hard for me lately. I've started to drink again, and I need some accountability." Um, and some prayer. The next guy said, well, gambling, that's been my struggle, and I, I've started gambling again. Um, I need some help. Would you guys pray for me? Third guy said, well, this online stuff has really been hacking at me, and the pornography has just been there. I'm struggling. I need some help with this. Fourth guy, this is the last guy, he says, guys, you know that um, my struggle is gossip, and I can't wait to leave this meeting. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying my best. All right, here's another one. Um, I heard about this girl. She went in to confessional. Um, she wanted to go in and confess her sin, so she sat down in the confessional booth, and she said, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. The priest said, well, What is it, my child? And she said, Father, I have committed the sin of vanity. Twice a day I stand in front of the mirror, and I just gaze at myself and tell myself how beautiful I am. Well, he leans forward. He opens the little window, and he looks at her. He sets back, he shuts the window, and he says, well, my dear, I have good news. That's not a sin. It's only a mistake. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm going to need forgiveness after that one, right? Um, sorry, our, youth, our own youth pastor, I checked with her, and she said it was okay for me to say that one. <laughs> Thanks, Natalie. I needed you. Do you know what sin is? Seriously, I mean, think about it. What is, what is sin? Do you know the difference between what is a sin and what is a mistake? Do you, can you identify sin? And not, not just in other people. I know you're really good at that. We're really good at telling other people, I can see sin in everybody else's life. But what about in your own? Um, what, is, what is real sin? I've heard it this way as well. As long as I don't hurt anybody else, I'm good, right? That would be the fake news part of it. As long as I don't hurt anybody else... What about the top 10? The top 10, not your top 10 favorite sins. I know you have those as well. But what about the 10 commandments? Do you know those? If we were doing a quiz this morning and I handed out a quiz and said, I need you to write out the, the 10 commandments, would you even be able to do it? Would you know those 10 commandments? And then how are you doing? How are you doing on them? You might say that murder one. I've never done that. I'm pretty good at that one. Um, I've got that one down. But the others, whew, I'm struggling. I think I've gotten most of those at some point. Or are they really commandments? Or do you think of them, do you view them more as the 10 suggestions? The 10 good ideas that maybe we should follow that might help us out if we were to follow them. How, how serious are you about these? MTV, this has been a few years, MTV did a special. They did a documentary one time on the seven deadly sins. And they asked the question um, what people thought about the seven deadly sins to well-known entertainers and music people. And they all came up with the same conclusion. 
They thought that the seven deadly sins were, and I quote, dumb, end quote. <laughs> that was it. They just thought they were dumb. Do we need to follow those? What about sin? So are we even asking the right question? And oftentimes we ask this question, where's the line? You know, how much can I get away with? Is the line here or is it here? And what can I get away with? What, how bad can I be and get away with it? How good do I have to be and still make it? That, okay, come back next week. That's the question we're going to address next week in some of this. How good do I have to be? But if you're looking for compromise, it's easy to find. You can compromise your way out about of anything. That would be the fake news side of it as well. But if you're looking for the truth, then the truth is easy to find. And the truth is, sin is bad. And I'm not trying to be judgmental. I don't want to be your judge. That's not my role. I'm not trying to condemn you. Um, but we're good at justifying things. And I'm here to say sin is bad. Um, Calvin Coolidge, our one-time president, he went to a Sunday morning worship service, and his wife was sick that morning. She was not able to attend with him, but when he got home, she asked him, what was the sermon about? And he said the sermon was about sin. So she inquired more, <laughs> what about it? What did the pastor say about sin? And he said, well, I'm pretty sure he's against it. <laughs> Bottom line, right? And if I could be just flat out honest with you this morning... And just tell it how it is um, from the bottom of my heart. It might look more like this. Watch this video. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. My like, don't! Cut. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, Stop it! <laughs> The word of the Lord. <laughs> Pretty simple, huh? Pretty straight up. If we could just stop it, we would all be so much better. <laughs> Here, here's, here's where we, I think we need to start. Before we can get into unpacking some of this, we need a good starting place. And I think the starting place where we need to be before we can go any further is to understand something. And it's this, that, that we are not good people who sometimes do bad things. And I know that's a great place to, to think, right? That we want to look at the best in everyone. That's a good quality to have. I look at the best in everyone. But in yourself, you got to see it. We're not good people who sometimes do bad. We are sinners who sometimes do good. We, we are sinners. We're, 
church is full of hypocrites. Here we are, right? No, I'm not a hypocrite saying that I'm good and you're bad or that um, we're all good and everyone else is bad. No, we're all bad. I don't want to be a hypocrite in that. Here's the bottom line. We sin. Albert Moeller, he said it this way. We as Christians, we're disappointed when people sin, but we're never surprised. Are you ever surprised when somebody does something wrong? No, because we're there. We can't even keep our own rules. Okay, the top ten, um, you know, the Ten Commandments, we have struggle with those. Write your own. Let's figure it out. You come up with your ten. You write ten new commandments and see how long it takes before you break one of them. We're not very good at it. We break our own rules. That's why our government has three branches to hold each other accountable because we, we're going to fail at some point in this. We are lost. God is holy. We are not. We're far from God, and we have to understand this. If we don't understand this issue first, then evangelism won't be very important to us. Then we won't care if other people don't hear the good news of Jesus. We won't care that other people are lost we have to understand this first so that evangelism will be important, so that we want to share this good news with our family, with our friends. The other thing, if we don't understand this first, we won't appreciate our own salvation. We won't appreciate what God has done for us. We won't appreciate the gift of Jesus Christ, his son, because we'll think, I don't, I don't need that. I'm good. I don't need Jesus because I'm good enough already. We have to come to the conclusion, first and foremost, that we need that from him. So let's look at it. Sin, what is it? Um, a simple definition in our society, what we would look at it as would be a transgression of a religious or moral law, especially when it's deliberate. So bottom line, sin is a deliberate disobedience to the will of God. That would be how our society would look at sin. In the Old Testament, we can see different definitions or different words that they use for it. Um, transgression, rebellion, um, keep that word rebellion in your brain for just a little bit. It would be the, the idea that, that we're full of pride, that we have a life full of pride, and we rebel against God then because we think we can do it better. Um, that which is twisted. So if, if we're on the straight and narrow, anything that's off of that would be in the Old Testament sin. The New Testament talks about missing the mark, Romans and Ephesians. Now, this one I struggle with a little bit because I think that if I've got a target and I just miss the center just a little bit, um, that that's missing the mark, and I'm still pretty proud of myself. I'm like, hey, I'm still doing pretty good. No, what this is talking about is you, you don't even make it to the target. You don't just miss the mark. You miss the whole target. Um, you're, you're falling when we should be standing. Romans talks about that as well. But, man, sin is, is tough. It's tough to get a concept of. Different societies have different opinions of sin. Different generations have different opinions of what sin is. What I think might be a sin, you might not think is a sin, or somebody down the road from you. Mark Zuckerberg said it this week, we made a big mistake. Was it a big mistake? Was it a sin? It depends on your opinion on what's a mistake and what is a sin. And if you think it's just a mistake and somebody else thinks it's a sin, we've got different opinions of that. So it's deeply complex. And 30 minutes to unpack the theology of sin is really tough. So hopefully you just learned something new about it today and you grow closer. But it's so complex. Think of it this way. Um, in 2008, in 2008, the Oxford Junior Dictionary took the word sin out of the dictionary. They, they thought that it had fallen into disuse 
and not recognized by the younger generation. So they decided to take sin out of the dictionary. Now, it is the junior dictionary, and they've got a limited amount of words. So each year they take words out, they put new words in. That same year they also took out bishop and disciple. And that same year they put in words like blog and tolerant and chat room to make sure that we're up to speed in our society. We, we misunderstand sin. We often understand it as just breaking a list of rules. If you've got a list of rules and you break one of them, then that's sin. But Jesus taught us that it's more than that. There's more to it than that. You can keep all the rules and yet still be lost. In his story where he talks about the prodigal son, where one son um, goes away from his father and lives a life of what we would call sin, bad things that he did, his actions, but yet the older brother stayed home and kept all the rules of his father. The younger brother came back home and received forgiveness, but it was the older brother that ended up being lost, even though he kept all the rules. Or what about um, the rich young ruler? He came to Jesus and he said, what does it take to receive salvation? And then he said to Jesus, I've kept all the rules. I've kept all the rules. Jesus then told him to sell everything he had and follow me. He said, I can't, I can't do that. He remained lost, even though he kept all the rules. So let's go back to the beginning. What about this, this list of rules and these, this idea of following the rules? In the beginning, Genesis chapter 3, we find Adam and Eve in the garden. Here they are. God had created everything. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And God said to them, you can have anything in this garden that you want, but just don't eat from this tree. Why? Is fruit bad? Is that fruit bad? Should we not eat that fruit? What, why would God say that? What a silly rule that God came up with not to eat from that tree. I think it's good to eat fruit. Fruit is good for me. I want to eat that fruit. I know what's good for my body. I get to choose what I put into my body, right? So I'm going to eat that fruit because I think it's a dumb rule. Well, that's how Satan gets to us. And that's how he tempts us. We start to justify our own actions. Was it the fruit? No. Really probably had nothing to do with the fruit. It was about the fact that God said, don't do that. And they were disobedient. When Adam chose to disobey God, whatever the rule might have been, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, what happened then was a separation between God and Adam and Eve. Their relationship was broken. And ever since that time, there have been rules that have been put in place, not to keep us from having any fun, but in order to rebuild a relationship back with God. That's what they're there for. In the beginning, there was only one rule. Don't eat from this tree. One rule and a relationship. And that relationship was broken because they broke the one rule. But it's not just one, and it's not just ten rules. In fact, in the first five books of the Bible, it's called the Law or the Torah. Five, the first five books, there are actually 613 different commandments given to the Israelite people. Now, we just concentrate on the ten, right? That's the ones we look back to, the, the, those that we thought were most important, the ten commandments that were given to Moses. There were 613 the reason was because they couldn't follow the certain set of rules and 
they were rebellious. And when they rebelled, God came up with some more rules to kind of build that relationship back up. And then they rebelled some more. So there were more rules put in place and rebellion happened again. We can't keep the rules that we were given. And some, at some point, prophets came along. Moses said to the people, hey, the only way you're going to fix this is not by obeying all the rules. It's by transforming your hearts. And the prophets, when they came, they said, the only way you're going to transform your hearts is through the Messiah. Jesus, when he comes, and together all of these books form this great story about this guy named Jesus who came not to add more rules to us, but to fulfill the law that had been written. And people questioned him at one point, and they said, tell us the greatest commandment. Of all the commandments, of all 613, which one should we obey? And Jesus said to him, the greatest one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Do those. Do that. And everything else will fall into place. It's not as easy as it seems though. Because Jesus then comes back and he says, Oh yeah, it's part of those commandments. Remember those? In Matthew 5 he said, You've heard it said, don't murder. Well, even if you think about, well, even if you get angry at somebody bad enough, you've committed this one. You don't actually have to murder someone to break that commandment. Oh, the, the one about um, adultery it says you don't actually have to commit adultery, but if you even think about it, then you're breaking that commitment. It's tough. And Jesus is saying it's not about the rules, it's about a relationship. Um, early Christianity, when the church was being organized, Christ, after he died, he came back from the dead, he went to heaven to prepare a place for us. People were asking questions. The Romans came to the Christians, those that were Christ followers, and they said, where's your temple? I said, temple? We, we don't have a temple. That, what, where do your priests work? What do your priests do? And they said, priests? We, we don't have priests anymore. Then what about your sacrifices? Where are your sacrifices given? And they said, we, we don't have sacrifices anymore. They said, Jesus is our temple. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our final sacrifice. This was such a new concept to people because they were so used to a list of rules that you obeyed that became a religion that they looked at Christianity and said it's anti-religion. It's, it's not religious. They actually looked at Christians and called them atheists because they didn't have a religion, a set of rules that they were following. It was about a relationship. The difference between a religious person and a true Christian is that a religious person obeys God to get something from God or to control God. God, if I'm good enough, then when I pray to you, you'll, you'll grant me what I've asked for. Where a true follower of God obeys God not to get from him, but just to please him, just to be in a relationship with him. See, in the Gospel, as I read through the Gospels, I see that everyone is wrong. Everyone's wrong. We're, we're all sinners. That's where we have to start. We have to see that first. But I also see that everyone is loved. God also loves all of us, even in spite of that. And everyone is called to be humble and to change. I like this when a newspaper asked the question many years ago, what is wrong with the world? That was just the question. What is wrong with the world? They put it out there and they wanted people to write in with their opinions. G.K. Chesterton wrote in response to the question, what is wrong with the world? 
He said, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. And if we push this onto everybody else, we'll never have that relationship with God. Jesus said it this way, the humble are in and the proud are out. Romans 3.20 reminds us, therefore no one will be declared righteous by his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. It's not about the list of rules that we have to keep. The list of rules are there to show us that we can't keep all the rules. The list of rules are there to show us we need a Savior. We need somebody else that can build that relationship with God the way it was before. So the real issue of sin is not morality. It's relational. We've been separated from God because of sin in our lives. And it's not just breaking the rules. It's putting ourselves in place of God. When we say, I can be my own God. I get to choose what I want to do. Augustine, he said it this way, Sin is believing the lie that you are self-created, self-dependent, and self-sustained. Sin is believing, I got this. I got this. I'm good enough. I can make it on my own. We need to stop believing that your sin is mainly about what you do and what you don't do. It's not mainly about what you do. It's mainly about who you are. Now, granted, get this. Your actions represent who you are on the inside. So your actions do show what's on the inside, which is where we get lost in this often. Your actions reflect your relationship with God. Do you have enough faith? Do you trust him enough in your actions to show that you believe in him? Sin then is our preference for anything above God. Sin becomes our disapproval of God and what he has said to us. Sin is our exchange for his glory for substitutes in this world. Sin is our suppression of the truth of God. Sin is our heart's hostility towards him. Now, I get it. There are a lot of people that are not believers in God, that don't believe in who Jesus is, and they do some amazing things in our world. They do really good things. Build hospitals. They obey the speed limit. They negotiate peace. They heal diseases. They feed the poor. So yes, people that don't know God can do good things in this world. And I know this better than anyone. Can Bible-believing Christians do bad things? Adultery, stealing, lying, gossip? Absolutely. We do bad things all the time. We learn this from Romans 3. No one is righteous, not one. No one does good, not even one. But the writer of Hebrews, he unpacks it like this. He says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I think the one that that nails it for us this morning, Paul says it like this. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So what's sin? Anything above God. Anything that we do where we trust in something else except God. Our actions which don't come from faith, which don't come from treasuring God over all, that is what sin is. It's not treasuring God above all things. It's preferring anything else except God. In Romans chapter 8, Paul again unpacks it like this. He says, therefore, brothers... Whatever, sorry, therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. 
We have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. If you put your trust and faith into anything else but God, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, if you put your faith and trust in God, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So I, I know a lot of that's pretty big. There's a, there's a lot of theory within some of this. So I want to get practical with you as I close this up. I want to teach you a couple things that I think will help us practically. Um, why should I stop then? Why should I stop sinning? Why should I stop disobeying? The first one is this. Sin has a law of sowing and reaping. It, sowing and reaping, meaning that there are consequences to your actions. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please a sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You know this. This is not new to you. If you do bad things, oftentimes you'll get in return bad things. Things will happen that you, you have to suffer the consequences to your sin. Ebert Hubbard said it this way. He said, men are not punished for their sins, but by them. God, God doesn't wait for us to mess up and then point his finger at us and say, bad, you, you're going to be punished for that. God looks at us when we sin and says, no, don't do that because it's not good for you. You're going to be hurt by that. He cares for us. When we look at Genesis 3 and we see what happened after they disobeyed God, what did they get in return? They got guilt and fear and shame and death and separation, subjection, sorrow, toil. God knew that that was going to happen. And he tried to stop them from that. So I believe he cares for us. And he's saying, don't do these things, not because I don't love you and I don't want you to have any fun. He says, don't do these things because there's pain in return for that. When you do that, you're going to reap what you've sown. And it's not good. Sin hurts. And he's trying his best to help us through. I believe this as well, that sin also has an effect that is far-reaching. Your sin affects the people around you. My sin affects you as a church. Your sin affects the people around you. And it's, it's not just right now, it's generational. Pride and selfishness in one person will affect generations after that. So no, you can't just negotiate it and say, as long as I don't hurt anybody else. Yes, you are hurting other people with your sin. And God's trying to protect us from that. And here's the third and I think most important um, thing for us to see, that sin then breaks the relationship with God. That's the most important one. The goal is a relationship that we had from the very beginning. In the garden, before they disobeyed God. That's the relationship that we're shooting for. And we are so poorly equipped to keep all of God's laws. So when Israel... Um, broke the laws, when we have failed in that as well, this is the best part about it. When we fail, Christ succeeds. And he demonstrated his love for us by saying, I am going to be that final sacrifice for you. And by being that sacrifice for us, he wiped out our sins 
And he made a way for us to be in relationship with God like it was before the fall. Today we have the Holy Spirit to help us through with that. And the Holy Spirit guides us and helps us in that relationship with God so that when we do sin, we can get back into relationship with God and that barrier can be taken away. Now I've been asked a question, many people have asked over the years, maybe you have as well, then what about the unforgivable sin? Is there one of those, that sin that's just unforgivable? Well, when it comes right down to it, this is the way I see it. The only sin for which there is no forgiveness is the sin for which forgiveness is not even wanted. Do you even want that forgiveness? The sin for which there is no forgiveness is the sin which no forgiveness is wanted. The Pharisees had a hard heart so much that they didn't even want the forgiveness from God. And salvation was denied to them. Not because it wasn't offered. Not because it wasn't offered. It's offered to all of us. But because they have permanently rejected it and said we don't even want it. Some people have wondered um, if they've committed the sin against the Holy Spirit. Have I committed that unforgivable sin? My, my response would be like a wise old pastor once said, if you're honestly worried about whether you've committed it or not, you haven't. Then your heart isn't hard enough yet, and you still have a chance to come back to a relationship with God. Now, my goal is not just practical. It is at some level. Yes, I want to help you live a good life. I want to help you through some sins in your life. Not to be judgmental. I'm not here to be your judge. That's not my role. I'm not as worried about your actions, your sins in your life as I am about your relationship with God. The most important part of that, which, which will give you eternal life. And if you've never opened up your heart to receive God first, I would love to share him with you. I would love to tell you about how you can have that relationship with him. You can find me during this next song that we're going to sing or after the service. I'd love to share that news with you. But if you would, let's stand together and prepare our hearts for a time to remember what Jesus has done for us.